0: it's alan and i just wanted to let you know that you can now listen to the ongoing history of new music early and ad free on amazon music included with prime when i was a kid i ran across a photograph that just absolutely horrified me it was a picture of a monk sitting cross-legged on the street and he was on fire and i mean really on fire the dude was a raging inferno now, that was bad enough. But then you looked at his face. There was no pain, no agony. He was completely serene as he burned to death. Now, I don't mind telling you that this gave me nightmares for weeks. I mean, how could a guy burn up like that while staying so calm? I later learned that the monk's name was Thich Quan Duc. He was a Buddhist monk. He was in Vietnam. And as a protest against the government's suppression of the Buddhist religion, he and his followers went to a busy intersection in Saigon. He sat down in a lotus position, and he began to meditate. Then a five-gallon can of gasoline was poured on his head, and after offering some prayers, duck struck a match. This photo was of a suicide by fire. Its effect was so powerful that it persuaded U.S. President John F. Kennedy to withdraw American support of the Vietnamese government of Ing Dinh Diem. His generals launched a coup d'etat, and they took over but because they weren't able to establish a stable government, South Vietnam slipped deeper and deeper into crisis. Hello, Vietnam War. Hello, military quagmire. Hello, humiliating defeat for the United States. And to think that a photograph was a big part of that history. The date of Duck's self immolation was June 11th, 1963, and this image of the serene flaming monk stuck with me for years. Then in the fall of 1992, 29 and a half years later, this photo turned up again on an album cover. And when you think about it, it's absolutely perfect for a band who calls themselves Rage Against the Machine. This is the ongoing history of new music podcast with Alan Cross. Rage Against the Machine with Bomb Track, the first song on their amazing 1992 first record. Still one of the best debut records of all time. Welcome again, I'm Alan Cross, and I've had so many requests to do a show on Rage that I just had to do one. And I found some interesting stuff about the band. For example, we'll just throw this out, Tom Morello took a few liberties with his parts in that opening song. The intro bit was a leftover from when he was in a band called Lock Up. And the main riff was caught from a song called Alice in My Fantasies by a band called Funkadelic. We've never really heard a lot about that particular appropriation. But here, listen, this is Funkadelic from a 1974 album called Standing on the Verge of Getting It On. (laughs) Let's see what else we can find out about one of the most outspoken, most political, and most unwavering bands that we've seen in our lifetimes. Let's start with the personalities that make up rage, and we'll start with singer Zach De La Roca. It's kind of amazing how little fans really know about this guy. He was born in Long Beach, California, and he came from a broken family. He was shuttled between parents. Dad was an artist who had some very extreme artistic and religious ideals. Although his work had been exhibited in prestigious galleries, he felt that he had to destroy all his paintings, and he demanded that Zack help him burn everything. This was all part of a nervous breakdown the guy had. That was a little weird, so we moved in with Mum, who was completing her PhD in anthropology. Meanwhile, as the only Latino kid in his class, he was acutely aware of all kinds of casual racism, and he became determined to speak out. He picked up a guitar at eight, and by the time he was a teenager, Zack was deep into punk. Clash, minor threat, bad brains, bad religion, that kind of thing. His first band was called Juvenile Expression and featured a bass player named Timmy Comerford. His dad was a rocket scientist. No, seriously, a rocket scientist. He was an engineer who worked on the space shuttle, and Mom was a mathematician and a teacher. This wasn't a happy family either. Mom was diagnosed with brain cancer and had to move away to live with her sister. There was a divorce, a stepmom, and the death of his biological mom in 1988. But wait, let's let's get back to Zach. After a while, Zach left to form a hardcore band called Hard Stance, and they were into a hardcore lifestyle known as straight edge. This meant no drinking, no drugs, not even cigarettes, ever. Would you like to hear what hard stance sounded like? Of course you would. This is from 1988-ish and is called Is This the End? <laughs> A band called Hard Stance, featuring Zach DeLaRocca, in there, somewhere. This group evolved into a band called Inside Out. These guys did much better. They were actually able to get a decent following on the national underground hardcore scene and did especially well in and around Orange County. Zach was the front man, and the band sounded like this. Zach De La Roca's pre-Rage Against the Machine band, Inside Out. That's from 1990, and the song is called No Spiritual Surrender. Like I said, the band did fine, but they still couldn't hold it together, and they broke up. See, their guitarist decided to become a Hare Krishna monk, and that kind of destroyed everything. This was a setback. The band had already written material for what was supposed to be a second album. In fact, they already had a title for it. They were going to call it Rage Against the Machine. But that would have to wait until a few other things fell into place. Let's talk about Tom Morello. He was born in Harlem. His dad was from Kenya. Mum met dad there while she was teaching on a military base. They were married in 1963, just after Kenya became independent from Britain, and dad became the first Kenyan ambassador to the UN. But then there was a divorce. So we're three for three in the broken family department, aren't we? And mum and Tom moved to the suburbs of Chicago, where she continued to teach. As you might guess, Tom was very political from the beginning, extremely left-wing. In fact, he categorized himself as... Hardcore Anarchist. Growing up in an all-white suburb, he said he was acutely aware of the racism that he saw around him. But he was also into music. His first band was at age 13, a Led Zeppelin tribute band, where he was the singer. He had tried to pick up the guitar, but it was too complicated. And he didn't bother picking it up again for three years. Now this is wild. He really didn't start studying the guitar seriously until he was about 16 years old. He's a real late bloomer. At around that time, age 16, 17, he was in a group called Electric Sheep. The bass player in the group was a guy named Adam Jones, and that's the same Adam Jones that now plays guitar in Tool. They weren't very good, hardly anyone in the band really knew how to play, but they were very enthusiastic and very political. In 1982, Tom enrolled at Harvard and graduated with an honors B.A. in political science, and he got those decent marks even though he'd practice his guitar for up to eight hours at a time. Once he graduated, he moved to California to work as an aide to Alan Cranston, a Democratic senator. Adam Jones went West too, so he could form his own band. Tom met a guy named Maynard James Keenan. He introduced him to Adam. And then everyone met a drummer named Danny Carey, and all of a sudden you have Tool. But let's get back to Rage. Tom's first West Coast band was called Lockup. At one point, this group featured a drummer named D.H. Palegro. He used to play with the dead Kennedys and was once part of the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Lock Up was good enough to get the attention of Geffen Records, and they released one album in 1989 called Something Bitchin' This Way Comes. Try this. It's called Can't Stop the Bleeding. <laughs> Pre-Rage Tom Morello and his band called Lock Up from 1989. By early 1991, Tom Morello had decided that his band, Lock Up, wasn't working. Actually, that first record was a flop, so they were dropped by their record label. And around the same time, Zack DiLaRocco was getting fed up with his band, Inside Out. One night, Tom was out at a club where Zack happened to be working on his freestyle rapping. He liked what he heard, they got to talking, and decided that yeah, they should do something together. Zach knew a drummer named Brad Vilk. I know his last name starts with a W, but the proper pronunciation is Vilk. He had taken lessons from some serious jazz players as a kid, so he had solid chops. In fact, Tom had run across him when Brad auditioned for Lockup, but for whatever reason he failed, and he moved on to another band called Greta. Now, Greta did okay. They toured with the Catherine Wheel, they toured with Motorhead, and they even got something in the Beavis and Butthead TV show. Their one and only album was called No Biting. Here's a sample, and if you're a fan of Beavis and Butthead, you might recognize it. So there's yet another pre-rage band. That's drummer Brad Vilk in Greta, with a song called Fathom, and the album is No Biting. And, oh... By the way, there's also a little bit more available from Greta. If you've ever seen the movie Independence Day, they have a song on the soundtrack. Things looked like they were going to be okay for Greta, but then the president of their record label got fired. Then their A&R guy, the guy who had championed them to the label, also got fired, and the whole enterprise collapsed. So we got Zach and Tom together. Brad is now on board after the death of Greta. And then Tom called his old school buddy, Timmy Comerford, to come in and play bass. They found a rehearsal space in the San Fernando Valley, and they started jamming some of those demos made it to tape. Oh, and what's this? Is this a copy of some of the rehearsals? Well, it appears so. You know, the things that I find in my collection, that's a demo of Bullet in the Head, which of course would end up on Rage's debut record. It's amazing how true that demo is to the final version, isn't it? By now, the band had decided that Rage Against the Machine would be a great name. Again, that was the title of an old song that Zack wanted to record with his old band, Inside Out, but it worked better as a band name. So the new group started playing parties in small clubs in and around the LA area. They scraped together some money for some demos, they recorded an indie cassette, and they sold this cassette at shows. And since three-quarters of the band had already been burned by the major label experience, they weren't about to go through that again. Word got around fast. First, the music was good. The idea of a rock-rap hybrid style was catching fire. Second, their buddy Adam's band, Tool, was getting super hot. Adam invited Rage to open for some of their gigs. That demo tape really started freaking out all the talent scouts. A bidding war erupted, and Epic was the major that agreed to all of Rage's demands. Now here's a really good question, and it's a fair question. Why would such a far-left band with such bad baggage with major labels sign with a major record label? Well, first of all, they retained creative control over everything. That's important. And they knew that the only way that they could spread their message was to go with someone who could help them with worldwide distribution with some mighty marketing power. And the only corporations with that kind of clout are major record labels. And so it came to pass that on November 3rd, 1992, the album with a dying Fitch Quan Duck on the cover appeared in stores. And the effect was uh, scary. What the? You get your name. Get your looted on the wall playing a tic toe. Yo, check the diagonal. Three million gone. Come on. Cause you know they're counting backwards to zero. Environment. The environment exceeding on the Rage Against the Machine with Freedom from their self-titled debut record, released on November 3rd, 1992. You know, if you ask me, I think this is as close to a flawless debut record as you're gonna get. More on the record in just a second. If you have a copy of the first Rage Against the Machine album, it's worth combing through the liner notes for little gems of information. The first thing that struck me was a little note at the end that says, No samples, keyboards, or synthesizers were used in the making of this record. Then you should notice the other people on the album. Maynard James Keenan of Tool sings on a song called Know Your Enemy. And Stephen Perkins, the drummer for Jane's Addiction, also shows up to sing. And check this out, the version of Bullet in the Head that we all know was recorded before the band had ever played a single show live. And the list of the thank yous is long. Beto is Zach's dad, the artist who went crazy and burned all his paintings. Revolutionaries and musicians like Chuck D and Joe Strummer get props. Now, you're probably wondering when I'm going to play the big song from the first record. That, of course, was Killing in the Name of. And I will, but because this is radio, I have to play the sanitized version. As you might guess, the Canadian Broadcast Standards Council tends to frown on the playing of songs that contain 17 different iterations of the F bomb. And because this program runs some places at 9 o'clock on Sunday mornings, uh, well, you see the problem. But we can't finish talking about that debut record without playing this song. So. With apologies, here's the radio friendly version. Sorry about this. Now you do what they told ya. Now you. you. what they told now You what they told Rage with the uh truncated version of one of the greatest and angriest rock songs of the 1990s. A quick word about the audio quality of this record. If you're ever in the position where you're going to go out and buy a new set of speakers or a new amp, take this CD along with you. If the speakers and the stereo can take it, buy it. My suggestion is to use track three, take the power back. If there was ever a case for dumping MP3s, and going back to at least wave files. This is it. Props to Garth Richardson, the son of legendary Canadian producer Jack Richardson. It all the Guess Who's best records. The history of Rage Against the Machine is so dense that we've spent an entire hour on it and we've only reached the release of the first album. We still have to talk about the other three albums, The Breakup, Audio Slave, Zack's Stillborn solo career, Tom's solo stuff, and The Reunion. More on Rage next time. Technical production by Adam Committee and Rob Johnston. I'm Alan Cross.